Cornerstone, how you doing? Man, super glad you're here. Who came excited about Jesus today? All right, first day of our marriage series together. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to consider doing. I guarantee you, as we have this conversation over the next, I think it's seven weeks together, there's gonna be some moments you're gonna say, okay, but that'll never work with my spouse. Uh, there's gonna be some things that we're gonna ask you to do, and you're gonna go, Lynn, that, that involves work, and I'm not sure I want to work at this. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to consider. Would you just, for the seven weeks that we're together, Lean in, suspend doubt and hesitation, and just say, look, I'm, I'm gonna listen to what we say, I'm gonna take and try to apply it to my marriage, and just see, just see what God might do, that he might take a marriage that right now is on the rocks and on the verge of disillusion and could rescue that marriage and maybe even make it healthy, that God could take a good marriage and make it remarkable. Would you just see? And then look, if, if it doesn't work, at the end of the seven weeks, you could go back to your crummy marriage. So I've gotta say, this last week, I was almost disqualified from being able to do this series together. So it turns out that Lisa and I were invited to be guest speakers at a large marriage conference on the East Coast. And uh, so we were planning to go, and then before we left, the senior pastor of that church called up and said, Lynn, uh, there's this airplane show, and I know you love flying airplanes, and it's in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Why don't you come two days early? You can hang out with me. I'll pay the way. You can go to the air show. Lisa can fly out to D.C. She can hang out with my wife. They can do some shopping. And then on Wednesday, when the conference starts, we'll fly down. We'll meet the girls. I said, man, that's great. So sure enough, went to the air show. It was remarkable. Now comes Wednesday. It's time for us to fly in and reconnect with our wives. I was super excited because I hadn't been around Lisa for a couple days. We got out to the plane, it turned out the pastor had left the master switch on in the airplane, which meant as it had sat there for three days, all the battery had gone out of the plane, and it could not be recharged. Uh, he ended up having to send a plane to Minnesota, pick up a battery, bring it back to our plane, so that we could then take off and head to the conference. But men, instead of getting there in the afternoon, we got there at two in the morning. So, I knew that Lisa goes to sleep at nine. There was absolutely no chance that she was still gonna be awake by the time I got there. So I came up with a plan. Here was the plan. The plan was that I would go to the front desk, I would get a key to the room so that I could get into the room and not wake her up. Uh, I would go into the room, I wouldn't turn on the light, I'd get ready for bed, I'd get into bed, I would cuddle with my wife, and if she happened to wake up, all the better. So we get to the resort where the conference is. I go to the front desk. I tell them, hey, I need a key to my room so I won't wake up my wife. They gave me the key. Uh, turned out, you ready? She gave me the key to the wrong room. I went down the hallway I got to the door, 
went in, didn't turn on the light. No, no, I'm, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. All of it was true. Up to, I got to the receptionist, she gave me the wrong key. I started down the hallway, and by the grace of God, there was a gentleman with me who, as, we, as I was halfway to the room, he says, Lynn, I think that's the wrong room number. We doubled back, got the right key. But I was that close. You ever heard somebody say, we just fell out of love. We, we just fell out of love. And you realize what they're asking you to believe in that moment is that they were doing what they needed to do in their marriage. They were being the husband that they needed to be. They were being the wife that they needed to be. They were paying attention to what they needed to pay attention. And that somehow as they were going along, they fell into a mystical pit and simply fell out of love. And what you and I know when someone says that to us is, you, you didn't just fall out of love. See, there, there were moments when one of you hurt the other. And instead of getting together and talking it through and mending the relationship, you just ignored it. Uh, there were moments when uh, one was unkind to the other, and, and instead of dealing with it, you, you just withdrew your heart a little further away from your, you didn't fall out of love. You worked your way out of love. The reality is, you ready? The reality is you lost your focus. You stopped working on the things that were critical to keep your marriage healthy. How many of you are aware of uh, the JFK Jr. plane crash? Okay, three of us, this will be helpful. All right, so for those of us who don't know, so JFK Jr., the son of the former president, uh, was flying in an airplane. He had just got what they call an IFR rating. IFR means instrument rating. And what that does for you is it allows you to fly through inclement weather. You can fly through clouds, and what you do is because you can no longer see where you are, you simply focus on your instruments because your instruments will tell you, is the plane level? Are we going up? Are we going down? Are we on course? Instrument rating. In JFK Jr.'s situation, the plane became pitched and as it was, it began to descend and descend and descend. It's an interesting thing when you're in a cloud and your plane pitches a little bit, your body adjusts and you don't feel it. You can just keep going. What you're supposed to do is focus on your instruments because your instruments would have easily and immediately told you, here's the correction you need to make and you would have been perfectly safe. The only way that that crash happened is that JFK Jr. lost his focus. And whether he started a conversation, or we don't know, but what we do know is he stopped looking at his instruments. Here's what you need to know. When our marriages crash, it's not because we fell out of love. It's not because we were doing everything we were supposed to. It's because we lost our focus. We stopped paying attention to the things that were critical in having a healthy relationship. 
And guys, we're just gonna talk today about what it means to put our focus back on the things that are gonna cause our marriages to thrive. So here we go. Grab your Bibles. We're gonna go to the book of Matthew, chapter seven. Matthew, chapter seven. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, start working to the left, you're gonna find this book of Matthew. It's Jesus having a conversation. And here's the thing I wanna say up top. This passage isn't even a marriage passage. This passage is Jesus talking with us and saying, this is the minimum standard of how you should treat somebody else. This is the minimum acceptable of that you would even treat a stranger. This is what you ought to do. Here's why this applies. Because if Jesus says, hey, anybody in your life even a stranger should be treated like this. I'm thinking that my spouse, I should treat 10 times better than a stranger. So as we go into the passage, it is all the more critical that we know this in our marriages. Here we go. Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse three. Here's what it says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? So catch what Jesus is describing. There's a person. They have plenty of issues of their own. Matter of fact, Jesus would say their issues actually outweigh the issues of the other person. But somehow they have managed to look past their stuff and all they can focus on, all they can see is the other person's speck of problem. And they are absolutely focused on it. This is my marriage kit. Uh, they're gonna be on sale after the service for 19, no I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Here's what Jesus is teaching. That when you and I become focused on somebody else's problem, we look at our spouse and say, oh, there's the moment you disappointed me. Oh, there's the moment you let me. When I become focused on the failings of my spouse, they will only get magnified. They will only get bigger. I will convince myself, the person in the relationship with the biggest problem is them. Because what I focus on, I magnify. And you want to hear something else? What I focus on will steer my heart. Think about this. When we were dating, the only thing we focused on was the amazing things in the person we were dating. That's why we were like, oh, they're the most perfect person in the world. They don't do, they don't do anything wrong. I'm so lucky that they're dating me. Matter of fact, people probably came to you and were pointing out some things in the person you were dating. They, they would have said something like, hey, you realize um, sometimes, sometimes they say some things that can be pretty hard. I mean, I mean there's some moments they don't really think about the other person's heart. They just say it. And you go, oh, I know, they're so wonderfully honest. Isn't that wonderful? 
right? Because when we're dating, the tendency is all I see is the good in you. And then we get married. And here's what happens when we get married. This is Jeff. And if you were to say to Jeff, hey, Jeff, what is it that you love about Angela? Jeff would have said, oh, you know, I love that she's beautiful. I love that she's probably one of the most caring people I've ever met in my life. And maybe most of all, I love the fact that she's a strong, independent woman. But then, you ready? Angela does something that disappoints Jeff. And in that moment, the tendency is to turn the magnifying glass. And instead of looking at the things that I appreciate and love in my spouse, I begin to focus on the disappointment, the things I don't like. And remember that strong, independent woman, and now he goes, Angela, you're bossy. All you do is tell me what I ought to do. It's like having another mom. If you'd gone to Angela, said, Angela, what is it you love about Jeff? She would have said, you know what? He listens. He listens to everything. When I try to explain my heart, he listens. I love that he's spontaneous. I mean, like at the drop of a hat, all of a sudden it's like, hey, let's go here. and Let's do this on a date. I love that. She'd say, I love that he's laid back. So when I'm getting a little frustrated, I get a little, you know, caught. He's calm and he just nothing affects him. And then Jeff does something that disappoints Angela. And she turns the magnifying glass. And remember the laid back calm guy and now suddenly it's, Jeff, you're lazy. Get off the couch and get a job, buddy. Because you ready for this? What we focus on always gets bigger. And what we focus on will steer our hearts. If you think about it for a minute, don't we do this backwards? And if you're a single person in the room, this is the nugget. This is the nugget you ought to take out of this conversation. When you start dating somebody... Don't look for all the good things. Turn that sucker around and go, how many problems does this guy got? What, what? Boy, I mean, you know, how weird is she? And when you get done looking at those deficits, if you go, you know what? I can live with that. I'm good with that. Then turn it around and be stupid in love. Right? But you ought to begin when, you know, we do. We dated looking at the good and we married looking at the bad. We've got this thing backwards. Let's go back to the passage. Go to verse six. And Jesus is gonna tell you what we do when our focus goes on to the wrong thing. It's verse six and he says, hey, if you do this, see if you start looking at the bad in the other person and focusing on that, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet, and then they will turn and tear you to pieces. What are the pearls? People. People. Our spouses. 
And Jesus is saying in this moment, hey, if you, if you allow yourself to become focused on their deficits, to be focused on the things they don't do right, it's gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger because that's where your focus is. And there will come the moment you'll just go, oh, I can't afford this person in my life. This person's too much trouble. And you will end up throwing them away. And he says, be careful because in doing that, you'll harm yourself too. So I'm youth pastoring in Southern California, and it was one of the greatest seasons of Lisa's life and my life. We were in a pretty small town. There was only uh, one high school in the town, and not too long after we got there, our youth group just exploded. Uh, we ended up with almost every kid off the football team in our youth group. We ended up with almost every kid off the baseball team in our youth group. We ended up with almost every cheerleader in our youth group. In the eight years that I was there, Seven years, we had the valedictorian. The one year we didn't, we had the salutatorian at the school. The school would call us up in August and say, can you please give us the church calendar? Because we can't plan a school event on the same night you have a church event because nobody will come to the school event. The kids will all be at church. We were turning that town upside down for Jesus. Uh, we ended up uh, going on a trip. <clears throat> I took the kids to the beach. Now we get back to the church. It's pretty late at night. I went to a couple of the guys and I said, look, I need you to sweep the bus out before I take it back to the bus barn. Swept it out. I got in the bus, took it back to the bus barn. Two days later, the guy who managed our buses came to the church campus demanding my job. The reason he was demanding my job is because when he got to the bus, he found some sand in the bus. Now, of course he found sand in the bus. I asked boys to sweep the bus. And he was absolutely, he just said, look, this Lynn guy, he's so disrespectful, he's so irresponsible, why wouldn't he take better care of the church's property? You need to fire the guy. Here's what he couldn't see. He couldn't see the hundreds of kids coming to Jesus. He, he couldn't see young people falling in love with God and starting to chase him for the rest of their life. He couldn't see a high school turned upside down for God. You know why? Because he was focused on sand. And whatever you put your focus on, it will be get bigger. It'll get bigger than all the good things that are happening in your marriage. And here's why you and I need to know that. I guarantee you've got sand in your marriage. If you decide, hey, I'm gonna start looking for the faults of my spouse, I'm gonna start looking for the places they disappoint me, you will find sand. And if you keep finding sand, if that's what you allow yourself to be focused on, you will end up throwing away your spouse. And you and I have to make a conscious decision. I, I, I won't do that. I'll look to the good. There's something incredibly powerful that happens in our lives when we make, it's, it's, a, it's a decision. I, I'm not gonna focus on the faults. I'm gonna focus on the good in the person. Some of you would know my story. You would know that my dad took off when I was nine years old. I was the old, oldest of four kids. I had three younger sisters. My baby sister was severely, severely autistic. We were dirt poor. Uh, 
it was very common for people to bring clothes for me to wear that their sons had outgrown the clothes. The church would bring us on occasions food and work on our cars. And all the time that we were navigating life with nothing, my dad is buying house after house. Uh, He's buying yachts and airplanes. We were required to go see my dad on his birthday. We had to go there for Father's Day. I don't remember a single birthday that my dad showed up for. I was lucky to get a card with a check in it. And I have to tell you that my heart became focused on the bad. That when you would have brought up my dad, I would have said, sand. I mean, I, sand. I, I, when we got ready to start Cornerstone, my dad came to me and he said, uh, can a guy like me come to your church? I said, well, yeah, dad, you, you could come to our church. And I watched God get a hold of my dad's heart. And my dad started making small gestures toward me and toward my sisters. He would invite us out to lunch. And, and, and in my heart, here's what I said. Too little, too late. I see that tiny little gesture he's making, but I'm just telling you, the pile of bad, the pile of sand that this man's accumulated, is way, there's no way he could catch up. And thankfully, my wife, Lisa, said to me, Lynn, shouldn't you be giving him credit for the good he's trying? And I had to decide, right? I had to decide that I was going to take my focus off all the disappointment of my father, and I was going to choose to look at his sometimes awkward good gestures toward me and toward my sister's. And I want you to know it began a process of healing in my life. My dad died a year ago. And I can tell you I am so thankful for a wife who said to me, Lynn, give him credit for the good. Because so much changed in our relationship. I was able to watch my dad's best third of his life. And I was able to speak at my dad's funeral and tell other people that even if they had stumbled up until now, there was still hope because of my dad. Here's my question. In regards to your spouse, what are you focused on? What are you focused on? And depending on what you tell me, whether you say, man, I'm focused on the bad and I just, it just, or I, I choose, I choose to see the good in my, depending on what you tell me, I can tell you the direction your marriage is headed in by what you choose to focus on. Second thing, who I choose to focus on fixing is a big deal. Go to verse five. Here's what Jesus said. You hypocrite, First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You get what you say, look, look, look. You can't fix your spouse. Matter of fact, I'm just gonna give you some, if you try to fix your spouse, you will drive them away. There's only one person you can control fixing yourself. You. And Jesus is saying in this moment, 
Get your focus right. Grab one of these. And turn it and say, hey, there's, there's things about me that need to be worked on. There, there's things. I'm not going to worry about my spouse's list. I'm going to worry about my list. Isn't it interesting? Think about this. Not one person in this room, I can guarantee you, every person in this room, before you came to service today, you looked in a mirror. You did. We do it every day. Matter of fact, the truth is, most of us look into mirrors multiple times a day. How many of you go, I look in a mirror more than once a day? All right, everybody that didn't raise their hand, you're a liar. You're a liar. You go into the bathroom to wash your hands and you're in the mirror. Because, right, because we, we just know, hey, I, I need to check, I need to be sure that I'm put together right, you know, and we make adjustments based on the mirror. A couple of years ago, before work, I went into Circle K to get some coffee. As I was over, you know, filling up my cup, I happened to look over and the little gal behind the counter was staring at me. I got done uh, getting my coffee, I went to the counter to pay, I handed her my card, and when she was running my card, she kept looking at me. Uh, she gave me my card back. I was getting things together and, getting really, and she was staring at me. I thought to myself, I still got it. <laughs> I got into work, worked uh, most of the morning and ended up heading toward the bathroom, stood in front of the mirror and realized I had completely neglected to look in a mirror that morning. I still had bed hair sticking up. She wasn't staring at me. She was staring at the guy with bed hair who didn't look in the mirror. Isn't it interesting that you and I are perfectly fine with looking in a mirror to figure out our physical condition, but the moment someone wants us to look in a mirror about our spiritual condition, we're like, no, I'm out. I'm out. No. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't you and I say, look, I mean, I care about my physical appearance, but if I was gonna do the most important thing in my life, I would be looking in the mirror to see where I am spiritually. How do you do that? What are the spiritual mirrors for our life? Grab your Bible and go with me to the book of James. And if you're not familiar, you can go to the back of the Bible Start working to the left. James is barely into the Bible a little bit. It's James chapter one. Spiritual mirror number one. Here's what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Pretty simple. You're sitting in church on Sunday and in the sermon something goes, ow, don't deceive yourselves. Oh, I'm good and what? Do what it says. Because there's moments the Bible looks at you and goes, hey, your hair is a mess. You got boogers on your chin. Do something about that spiritually in your life. And if I don't, I'm like the person who looked in the mirror and they did nothing with it. It goes on. Do not, uh, 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone uh, who looks at their face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what they actually look like. Isn't it interesting that we are drawn to physical mirrors and we push away spiritual mirrors? Second spiritual mirror, go with me to the book of Proverbs. When you get to Proverbs, the easiest way is just put your fingers on the very middle of your Bible, open it up, you're probably in the book of Psalms. Go to the right just a little bit, you'll get to this book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27, verse six. The wounds of a friend can be trusted. It's just simply saying this. Do you have somebody in your life who you know, you know they love you and they love you enough not just to tell you what you want to hear, they love you enough to tell you what you need to hear. They love you enough to say, hey, uh, you realize there's something that you're not noticing, but your anger is ripping people up. You don't understand your indifference is actually wounding the hearts of your children. They love you enough to say the thing that probably wounds your heart a little bit, but they said it to you not to hurt you. They said it to you because they love you and they wanted to help you get better. They held up a spiritual mirror. And here's what I'm thinking. Every one of us, every one of us needs one or two or three friends in our life who we've given permission to and said, hey, look, I'm just going to tell you that if, that if you'll come to me, if you'll say something, and I'm not going to tell you I'm going to agree every time. I'm telling you I will listen every time and take it into account in my life. And shouldn't at least one of those people be your spouse, that they would be able to say, hey, can I, can, I just, can I just reflect back to you what I'm seeing in your life that you probably don't even see? And not because I'm trying to be right, not because I'm trying to win, but because I love you and I want you to be better. Shouldn't one of those people be our spouse? And then it goes on to say, but an enemy multiplies kisses. See, people who don't really love you, don't really, they'll tell you whatever you want to hear. They'll, ma they'll make you feel so great about yourself because they don't care enough and they're willing to let you live in your brokenness. A little while back, I, I went to my son and, and I just said, son, uh, Josh, could you tell me how could I be a better father? Now, before I tell you his answer, I've got to give you a little bit of context. So one of the greatest joys of my life and of Lisa's life is that my son is married to a wonderful, wonderful Christian gal. They've got two incredible grandchildren, and they come over to our house like three times a week. It's just our greatest joy. But when my son comes over to the house, he pulls out his cell phone, The whole time. My daughter-in-law, when she comes over to my house, 
the kids, when they come, they have to turn on their station. Some stupid show like Rescue Puppy Dogs or something. I don't know. It's just horrible. But they don't even watch the TV when it's on their show. Instead, they go to Grandma's toy box. They pull out toys. And guess what toys they pull? The loudest toy in the toy box. Blah, 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 blah. All through the house. We've got a little dog. It chases them around. The whole time. I go out of my mind in like eight minutes. I'm like, ah, this is not family time. So what I do, I, I just quietly get up. I walk back to the bedroom. I shut the door. I turn on my channel. So when I said to my son, hey, Josh, how could I be a better father? Here's what he said to me without hesitating. Stay in the room. Now, I'm just going to tell you, when I first heard that, I was defensive. I said, Josh, wait, wait, wait. When you come over, you, just, you get on the cell phone. Your kids are running around like hellions. He said, Dad, stay in the room. I had no idea. It was a blind spot in my life. I, I had no idea that that meant so much to my son, that, that, that his heart was saddened as I got up and went into the bedroom. I would have never known if I hadn't given him the privilege of holding the mirror. And so I made a decision. I'm, I'm gonna stay in the room longer. So now I stay in like an extra 30 seconds. No, I'm teasing. I stay in the room as long as I can. And then I came up with this genius idea. I make excuses to go to the store. No, 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 no. I make excuses to go to the store because then I invite my son with me. And when he gets in the car, he sets his phone down. And all the way to the store and all while we're shopping and all the way back home, we have father-son talks. Hey guys, I guarantee you, we all have blind spots. We all have parts of our lives that we desperately, desperately need to give somebody permission to hold the mirror, that we would become focused and say, I'm not, I'm not trying to fix the people, I'm trying to fix me. And so I'm giving you permission to speak into me about what I need to do in my life to be a better father, to be a better husband, to be a better Wife. I know some of you are going to say, you know, I tried this with my spouse and I'm just telling you they, they were mean and they said hurtful things. This is big enough. Go back. Go back to your spouse and say, hey, look, I, I want you to have permission in my life to say what I could do better. I, I need you to do it differently this time than you did last time. Because how you did it last time caused my heart to seize up and get it. Could you speak to me this way? so that I could see the mirror and do something about the problem. So here's the challenge. Remember we said what you focus on gets magnified and bigger. That you and I would choose for the next 10 days to focus on the wonder of our spouses, the thing that we love about our spouses. So I'm gonna ask you when you leave here today that you go get a piece of paper 
and for the next 10 days, every single day, you write down on that piece of paper three things that you appreciate about your spouse. And that at the end of 10 days, you make an appointment, you sit down together, and you read to your spouse what's on the list. I'm gonna tell you right now, you're gonna bless their heart. You're gonna put things on that list they had no idea that you appreciated, that you admired about them. You're gonna fill their hearts. Second assignment. I'm gonna ask you sometime today, whether you do it at lunch as you leave this place, as you do it maybe this evening, that you would sit down with your spouse and say, would you tell me one thing that I could do to be a better husband to you? And guys, they may say some little tiny thing like put the toilet seat down. But whatever it is, would you spend the next 10 days trying to do that thing better for them? I'm just telling you, when you and I get our focus right, it will push our marriages in the right direction. We may just fall in love again. We might just thrive for the first time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and God, it seems so obvious to us. People don't fall out of love, they fall out of focus. They start looking at the things that their spouse does that disappoints them and it suddenly becomes too big to manage and suddenly we're throwing each other away. God, I would just ask for every person in this room that we would literally make a decision today to say, I'm, I'm gonna turn my back on the things that are upsetting and, to, and I'm, I'm gonna choose to focus on the things that I appreciate and that I love in my spouse. I'm gonna magnify those things within my marriage. That God, that every one of us would have a mirror in our lives. Somebody, several somebodies that we've given permission to say, look, when you see me messing up, when you see me ignoring, you have permission to come to me and to point it out. And I promise, I promise I'll take it and I'll listen and I'll consider and I'll try. God, would you make the marriage as a cornerstone so remarkable that the world, the people who don't know you would be drawn to you because they'd say, there must be something real going on. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing time together. Guys, this is only week one. Uh, we've got some incredible stuff ahead. And so here's our challenge to you. Show up every week for the next six weeks as we go through this marriage series together. When our marriages are better, everything in our life gets better. So we're so excited for what God has in store. We will see you guys in one week.